we immediately before this recorded the eighth edition of Britonology, and we decided that, that this numbering system is definitely correct. Unlike the numbering system for Balthazar Speedboat, which now, as a matter of pride, will never be correct. Uh, it will always be a random number. Um, and uh, I, I'm Mullows. I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host, Nate Bethay. Hello, here again. And we're also joined by someone I'm sure you've never heard of, uh, Riley. Hi, it's me again. Yeah, that guy. Um, he's uh, we, he lives here now. We can't we can't get rid of him. He's you know he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wormed my way off of the main podcast into Britonology. That's right. Yeah. Um, Riley. Riley. I'm here is to slowly... interrupt Milo doing the notes and stuff. He wants to say now. Oh, there are no notes, Riley. Don't worry about that. These notes are very. Uh, they're very uh, skeletal. Damn it, damn <laughs> I don't. Damn it, damn I don't do notes. I love it. The more you interrupt me, the less I have to talk, and that's great. Um, so uh, this is a very special Britonology about a UK rave culture from the 90s and to discuss that uh we're joined by uh george the i don't know uh, owner r- r- uh, manager of the uk rave comments twitter account george how you doing hey all good thanks great to be here fan of the show oh brilliant well welcome we have demanded to speak to the manager of uk rave <laughs> that's right yeah um we've all we've all got the haircut with the with the fringe and the bun Riley's proposed this as an idea and I was really excited about it because even not even like hardcore rave stuff, but just what I might describe as slightly tangential to it. I was watching old Happy Mondays videos on YouTube and the comments were incredible. Just incredible about like can't 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 take a pinger and fucking go out for four days anymore. Liver's busted and I'm divorced. None of that woke <laughs> shit. You know, just it was just everything, everything you could want. And, I, and then when I started following the UK Rave comments uh Twitter account, I was like, man, there's so much of this stuff floating out there. Yeah, there's a lot of I was I did a uh, a comedy festival in Brighton a few years ago, which is just a fucking cursed place. And I was like in this house share I was crashing on someone's sofa who I knew who was in a house. It was like really grimy house share. And like everyone in there was like in their like early 20s, apart from one guy who was like in his 40s and he had a limp. Oh, that's unusual for a guy that age to have a limp. And it turned out that he'd had a he'd had a stroke in his thirties because he'd done so many fucking pingers in the nineties. <laughs> just like absolutely incredible, absolutely living in king. a fucking dirty house share in Brighton. So, so George, I suppose we ha- we should we should ask how you came about the role you're in now and uh, why rave reminiscences have so much cachet amongst a certain group of British people. Yeah, I'm not really sure why it has such an effect on British people. Um, I think part of the, the reason is the drug culture that surrounds it, especially as an island, we have such a big sort of alcohol culture. And so that's why it's interesting to delve into this. And it's quite positive nostalgia. They're sort of tinged a lot by the ecstasy as part of that. Mm, yeah. That's sort of interesting to read about. It's like a good vibes version of train spotting. I've heard people say that that taking under certain circumstances taking ecstasy is like positive PTSD. It's like it has you have like you have like <laughs> distracting invasive memories of good things. You're like God, it was so good, <laughs> and like it stops you dead in your tracks in the middle of your day and makes you want to comment on YouTube. I suppose. Yeah, you just yeah, get these like a hundred word comments on YouTube with no punctuation. They're just a sort of radiating ecstasy energy. They're just amazing to read. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like what if James Joyce but now and just like absolutely addled by pingers. Well actually I uh George I was just scrolling through the UK rave comments Twitter feed just to grab an example and I just I I I found a perfect one just now. 
I'm in there somewhere. I always remember ripping my t-shirt, getting through the window in the toilets, lol. I had the exact same G-Force trousers as the black guy on stage. Mad as fuck days. Good set list, too. <laughs> love it. Hell yeah. Love the trousers. <laughs> That's a vintage. I love it when they mention yeah, the clothes. That's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, Riley, you wanted to talk about the, the overall culture of raving in the UK. And to me, as, a, as a, the person who originally Britain was getting explained to, mm. uh, I, the only thing I know about it is sort of like slightly related in the sense that, you know, I know about stuff like the Hacienda in Manchester and mm. the two big things that I, you know, obviously like that club and Factory Records and some of the acts that came about from that. And then also um, the late 80s, I think it was 1988, they called the second summer of love uh, and just like rave culture going mainstream in the UK. But it seems to me like it's very much an 80s thing. And so the people who would be the most invested in this sort of nostalgia are, and and, and I'm asking Riley, but George, please feel free to jump into uh, that this is a Gen X thing, like hardcore, all of this nostalgia Mm. is basically Gen X reminiscing about, you know, 30, 35 years ago. Yeah. What I was going to say is what I know about this is... I've seen the film 24 Hour Party People mm-hmm. and I've met cursed fucking Gen Xers. That's, yeah, yeah. that's like everything I know about UK rave is my, derived my, from one, those two One things. of my neighbors is from Northern Ireland and is probably in her 50s or early 60s and she talks about taking ecstasy a lot and I'm almost like, it's just someone... Nate, uh, have you ever indulged in a disco basket? <laughs> <laughs> the people of Ulster say yes to drugs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's basically that. Yeah, and yeah. so... Uh, but it's just, yeah, it, it strikes me as like a very, very Gen X phenomenon because this, the, the heyday, I mean, if I remember correctly, I remember reading, I think it was on Wikipedia that like in like 1991, the most applied to university in the entire UK was the University of Manchester. And they only surmised that the rave culture had something to do with that. It's fucking massive. <laughs> That's basically what like Manchester and Leeds is still like. I can remember being at Sixth Form and then being like all the like really like self-consciously edgy kids who were like, yeah, I'm applying to Leeds because it's like fucking legendary party scene, mate. Like it's just going to be like fucking lit the whole time. It's like, whatever, dude. <laughs> like, I mean, you're going to get a degree in management. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, so, 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 George, I don't know how this uh, jives with your, um, your interpretation of rave culture, but I'd love to know more. I would say that lines up pretty well. Like, that's the age group that I look at from sort of, I guess, 88 to sort of 94. It's like the golden age of all this stuff. Mm. And, yeah, that's the age group I tend to look at. I don't know if it comes across in the Twitter feed. A lot of people assume that I'm the age of these people I'm talking about. Obviously, I'm not. I'm in my mm-hmm. I'm in my mid twenties, and so I'm just sort of digging into other people's nostalgia. But that's the sort of age group I'm looking into. Yeah, it's also interesting to me because uh, some of this stuff not not all of it, but some of it was actually very popular on the radio as well. I mean, mm-hmm. Happy Mondays were a big one, but also I mean, obviously New Order had a, a ton of huge hits. Um, uh, Primal Screams, another one that did very level well. Level 42. <laughs> <laughs> You're always going to bring up level 42, don't you? Um, <laughs> and blasting the Chinese way in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> but um, it's just interesting because some of the, some of these bands did have some popularity yeah. you know, in the US, for example, but nothing of the same degree. And uh, it's just wild to me because in the same vein that we've talked about this mm. um, in that same era... That, you know, you could have like a racetrack in Milton Keynes that seats 60,000 people sold out completely for an erasure concert. Yeah. Like, 
what was popular like it just and none of those people were gay and they made it very clear in the comment when they bought oh, the God, ticket yeah that's another story that i i, I as a as a long-suffering uh british sort of synth music fan have trolled through the comments on erasure videos and invariably people are like i love this song but i am not gay it's just like <laughs> you do realize that you could listen to you don't have to like no no one no there's not like a, a like a screener on youtube yep there is Turn me into a fucking raving bender, <laughs> sucking knobs left, right, and center. What gets me about it is the, um, yeah, the reminiscences all seem to be for the rave culture stuff. All seem to be so tied up in. I was fucked up on drugs at the time, and like this is a drug taking ass country. Like I was not prepared for that when I moved here. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's just it seems like that's how much it. That, that's what it's all all tied into. Is uh, I was young. The birds were great, and I was standard of the birds in here is that right? And I was yeah. taking, I was taking ecstasy and 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 just you know, or reading stuff like the guys from um from the Happy Mondays talking about how like they would go to club, they would go to the hacienda, but they lived in Salford and they were too broke to get the bus, so they would just walk, and it was like twenty four miles by foot or something like that to get from like where they lived to the club, and they just did like fuck it, what are we gonna do? It was a Tuesday night, I'm just gonna fucking walk. Like there's that to me is a profoundly British rave guy energy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe, George, maybe this would be a good point to talk about some of your, like, favorite rave comments and or anecdotes, because I think that's, that's sort of a good way into this and the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, sure thing. Um, just trying to find, I've got a few of them together. God, what's his name? Sean, fuck, what's his Sean Ryder and Bez. Mm. Oh, best. oh, now that is a man whose brain has been absolutely cooked by drugs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's one of the best writers about... Um, about the Happy Mondays as Simon Reynolds. Uh, Simon Reynolds, one of the best sort of, you might say sort of theoreticians and historians of, the, of them in particular. So in that, that Bez's role in the Happy Mondays was just to take drugs on stage. Pretty much. <laughs> just get fucked Shake up. Shake fucking maracas, <laughs> dance, just, yeah. He was, he was basically a, um, who's the guy from um, Outcast who, whose job was just to like, uh, there, was a, there was a similar guy. Who was just, he, was, he was a hype man. But Are you thinking he was, of Public Enemy, the guy with the clock? Um, oh, Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav. Yeah. No, there's, there's, there was... There was I mean, um, Outcast was just two guys, but maybe no, they had a... Yeah. One. I, I'll, it'll, it'll come back to me, but there was an, another guy who had like a sort of very British... Sort of a very sort of a self-consciously mm. British-sounding, like br- British Fauntleroy-sounding name. Well, in another Britonology mm. sort of cross-cut to that, Bez was also on UK Pimp My Ride in the 2000s, something which we have also featured on Britonology, uh, <laughs> where he had uh, Tim Westford for him pimped out a London black cap, which Bez then drove around so, in. I, I do sort of like like the idea that sort of they were so... There was a generation of people that was so happy to be having a good time in this country as though the idea were just invented. <laughs> um, that... And then they got rid of it. Yeah, then they got rid of <laughs> it, it like six years later. Uh, people were having too much fun. That there was a guy in one of the biggest bands in the Happy Mondays of the time who was like, like the Stone Roses, I think probably had more of an enduring appeal. But like of the time, you could not get more 80s Britain than a guy whose entire paid job that made him famous was to get absolutely off his tits and shake some maracas. Yeah. That was a whole industry then before Thatcher shut down. Yeah. What gets me about it too is is um when you see these guys like the, there isn't any pretense mm. like in the U.S. It, the way that people go about these sort of stories of like the, the 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 drug use and the excess is always in the past tense. 
it's always sort of mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, those were some dark days. And, and, and here it's different. Is it people that like, I wouldn't necessarily say it's pro drugs, but it tends to just be more like, yeah, fucking ruled. Man, yeah. the drugs were so good back then. God, I wish I could do that shit. And my liver is broken. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, in Bez's case, it was hilarious to me is I don't know if you know this, Riley, but he actually ran for parliament. And he, and, and, he, and he ran as a third party candidate in. Um, Wouldn't Sal- be the dumbest guy in there. Sal- Salford and Eccles constituency. And the person he ran against who won was Rebecca Long Bailey. <laughs> so it all comes full circle. Yeah, Salford and Eckes, if Bez had won. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, yeah, well, I, uh, so, uh, George, have you got any primo comments for us? Oh, yeah, I do. I hope my readings of these do them justice. Let me. Suitably dramatic timbre. Yeah. So, I remember back at Helter Skelter in 92 when I took a dove mate. I was mashed. Me and the lads couldn't <laughs> find the golf in the field after. Shit, me, man. Mental. Missed those dates. I'm working a nine to five now, and I hate my son. <laughs> This is like this is like what if like me and Riley wrote one of these as a bit. <laughs> the, well, the, the, the end. I hate my son is too perfect. I mean, what? Oh God! What I love about this though, right, is that okay, my uh, American American hippies were kind of ruined by their summer of love, and it ruined the boomer generation because they got that. But American Gen Xers didn't have a summer of love. British Gen Xers did. And so they still hate their kids because of it, but they hate them with an entirely different tone and because of how much they miss listening to Alternate. I mean, I'm thinking about what was going on in the US at the time. And I mean, I'm, just, I was, I'm obviously like way too young. I mean, I was, I was alive in the late 80s, but not exactly consuming fucking popular content. And but looking back on it, I just don't think that you had as, as much of this phenomenon. Mm. Um, and the rave stuff, I think for one thing, because, uh, well, <laughs> the unfortunate legacy of, uh, of, uh, with America is the fact that um, a lot of this stuff is not going to be as mass culture because electronic music in America is primarily, was at the time primarily black music. Mm. And uh, the crossover between that and let's say like your garden variety suburban white kids like wasn't going to happen. Mm. Um, it, hilariously, the way that they, they sort of, I'm going to say gentrify, but the way that they sort of like made it palatable for America's was for Americans was imported British uh, dance music stuff. Like mm. in the late nineties, you had this huge breakout moment where bands like uh, the prodigy and the chemical brothers became very big in America. Like yeah. EDM, like it sort of because, pr- because Americans have British people blindness. They see like Keith Flint and they're like, wow, he must know the queen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's very, very true. Um, so that stuff wasn't really going on. I mean, like hilariously the biggest band in America in terms of like what would be the sort of epical, graduated from high school teen band in 1988 for example was Depeche Mode mm-hmm. like flat out like when they made a documentary in I think 88 in, for about Depeche Mode it was like a bunch of high schoolers competed on MTV to like mm. look cool enough to get on a tour bus they would then film a documentary of them being on the tour bus <laughs> driving across America to go see Depeche Mode in uh, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena California like it was a looking cool competition yeah, you had like go to a club and just look cool basically <laughs> so like, it, was, it was like b-boying but for pussies yeah basically and mm. so uh, like yeah, you just didn't have, and the only, to my knowledge, the only um, Happy Mondays had one of their songs. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I off the top of my head, but it, um, yeah, I think it was Kinky Afro was like a number one alt alt rock hit, mm-hmm. or, but it wasn't didn't really chart that much. But the only band of that era from Britain that really did huge in America, and it was only for one song, was was not the Stone Roses, who were completely unknown in the U.S., but basically mm-hmm. uh, was Jesus Jones. 
right here right now is a fucking huge hit and then emf's unbelievable was also a huge hit but other than that unbelievable these Fuck. these bands that was on absolute this whole- radio the other day and i was like what what a fucking song just like absolute nonsense oh it rules man seriously but that stuff uh genuinely didn't really have an impact like it was it's it's it, if you if you talk about these bands now like unless people were either alive at the time and cared or like are nostalgia freaks there was no impact whatsoever so this was absolutely like a british phenomenon yeah and, mm. and the british are riven with nostalgia for it yeah so, uh, so, some so, people want to live in a painting the other people want to live in a painting of a rave those are the two <laughs> kinds of british they guy want to live be. in a painting but painted with glow paint that's Problem right. is, is that if you ha- if you try to throw a UK eighties and nineties style rave in America, like you'll get arrested and go to prison for thirty years. Cause it's just like That's the war right. on drugs as, thing was happening. As opposed to here, well, you'll just get a lucrative job. <laughs> get let off at trial for going. Oh, leave off, geezer! I was only trying to have a few pills. <laughs> and they'll be like, "This man is is a charming British individual. We will uh, we'll allow him to go. <laughs> Never return to the United States, sir." Um, yeah, should we should we do another comment? Yes. Should we? Yeah. Cool. So, so one. So this isn't from YouTube. One guy who sends me a lot of original mm-hmm. co- content is this guy called Carlos Manueli, who's original <laughs> raver who lives in Wales. And okay. um, he just has a way with words. I can't describe it. Um, so this is <laughs> the first thing he sent me unprompted. Um, mm-hmm. So a few of us lived on a farm in Amanford. We love the water from the upstairs bathroom so much. We used to bottle it and take it to the raves and offer it to people. Got famous in the raves around Wales, and people would come to our van and ask for our upstairs bathroom water. <laughs> That's like something from the Armando Yanucci show. Like it's like that level of just like a surreal skit about someone who believes, first of all, that the tap water in their upstairs bathroom tastes different from the tap water in the downstairs bathroom, and like second of all, is bottling it to. That's also the plot of an Only Fools and Horses episode, <laughs> where they work out that mineral water is a racket and that their tap water is unmetered because they live in a council flat, so they just start filling up bottles with their own tap water and calling it Peckham Spring. <laughs> Fuck's sake! Well, I can just imagine. Uh, buying, you know, refilled, bo- dodgy-looking bottles of someone's tap water at the rave, mm. and because you just happen to be on some good shit, you basically think it's the best-tasting water you ever had in your it, life. It was the second mm. summer of love. People were very trusting. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man, we should just start. We should start podcasting, but where everyone's on ecstasy because the reception would be great. Man, that's <laughs> the best impression of a South African I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it, but also, it's like, um, I, th- I mean, my, my personally, I'm, I'm sort of interested to hear sort of other reflections on this when i sort of i sort of read the uk rave comments which i do with <laughs> regularity because i find them very charming um well i i see is not just kind of um reminiscence about i see a combination of things it's reminiscence of uh, of youth like for youth um of people who might be sort of now getting on to their 50s late 50s even 60s um and also sort of I think reminiscence for um I, maybe not even in an acknowledged way, reminiscence for a less wholly um, c- controlled and commercialized society is brought in by new labor. It's like a lot of these parties were sort of big and free. You'd live in a van and just go from party to party for like an entire summer. Now you can do that for yeah. $1,500 a month. Well, precisely. Yeah. It's a, now the, again, the, these experiences have been sort of recommodified and sold back to people and where the borders of them are now heavily patrolled by security, police, border guards, and so on and so on. So I, I, I see these as sort of this kind of nostalgia as for a confluence of like 
of, of all of those forces. And I kind mm. of wanted to know what from, from George, like, because you're such a scholar of this pr- one strange corner of nostalgia, do, do, <laughs> does that resonate with you? Or do you think it's sort of missing something? Is there something else there? I feel like it's true to an extent. Um, I always mm. think about the politics looking at the comments. It's a very mixed bag. Some of it can be quite reactionary. Um, no way. Gen X is being reactionary on YouTube comments. Especially like people very paranoid about if you go out nowadays, you'll get stabbed or there's way too many fat people, which seems to be a weird thing that comes up a lot in rave comments. Um, that apparently there wasn't any fat people in the 90s. Um, you get fat then, you're all on drugs, mate. That's literally. Nowadays, you just can't have yeah. a rave because all the muzzos have come over here, won't <laughs> let you do it. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen people complaining about woke culture and shit like that, which is just bizarre to me. It's like you, like I live in Peckham, and there's illegal rave. There were illegal raves all summer in fucking um in what's it? Uh, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the park. That's the one park I go Burgess? to, Burgess Park. Like there, mm-hmm. there were a bunch of raves there over the summer. It's like, of course, it's still happening. But the, the YouTube commenters are convinced that uh, that this isn't allowed anymore because uh, because the damn SJ Dubs have taken over. And that's why I say it's sort of parallel to the, that summer of love. It's this. It's reminiscence for the, the for the, of this one generation that took a reactionary turn, mm. and so you're saying, George, you see that stuff in the politics coming through. Yeah, it is a mixed bag. A lot of it, there is a lot of anti-new labor stuff. A lot of the uh, videos I dig into are like around the like Criminal Justice Act that came in after mm. the big Castle Morton free rave. So, and a lot of that's. Um, it, it's also a mixed bag politically because it's all against the police and against shutting down raves. And I mentioned this before, like, um, notoriously Paul Staines was quite involved in that as well as on the other hand, like marches were coordinated by Jeremy Corbyn. So you've got a sort of, uh, I guess like a libertarian spectrum of people who aren't very politically coordinated, but you get a lot of people coming together in a sort of weird way when that happened. Rave Jeremy Corbyn is such a powerful bit. Just like <laughs> him, him with a whistle and a fucking glow stick in a wife beater, just like going at it. So, what you said there was a was a big rave that led to a change in the laws. Could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, that yeah, that was the uh, Castle Morton free rave that let me just remind myself. It happened in 1992 in the Castle Morton Common. It was a massive rave. Um, uh, there was a lot of notorious stuff about the police and everything. Apparently, the free travellers and the hippies, um, this is the police words, they killed a lot of sheep, about 200 sheep with their dogs, which um, sounds strange. But according to a lot of the comments, they're still arguing about the truth of that to this day. And <laughs> uh, just the arguments never end about that. And people, so I watched a documentary about it. There's a lot of interesting stuff about it. People say they found drug equipment and um, mm. drug drug equipment seemed like a funny way of saying pills. But yeah. and it's equipment for taking yeah. the pills, like, <laughs> like a little spoon. <laughs> or a grabber arm. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there was a lot of notorious stuff about police helicopters around the time. There's like comments. I've got one here. It's someone who says he was on acid and kept shouting at a police helicopter to, to stop looking down on him and kind of stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, these police helicopters are really harshing my mellow. That would lead to a bad trip, yeah. I, yeah. I was thinking about this, that um, it seems like that's a thing that, they keep, that gets brought up sometimes, specifically about Sean Ryder and Paul Ryder, is the, um, or Mark Ryder, rather, the... Um, 
the violence of the rave scene and I don't know anything about it. So, mm. uh, but it seems like that had some sway in public opinion here and apparently enough to change the law. So did they make it harder to like to have raves or like stiffen the penalties or something? Uh, yeah, it was very harshly fined. I know just, I think it was the violence that brought up, especially the police. It was kind of militarized in the mm. sort of Thatcher way, especially a lot of this is around sort of the free traveler movement sort of cracking down sort of hippies going around the country in caravans with big sound systems and just sort of confiscating all the equipment. And it led to a lot of big protests, like a notorious one in Trafalgar Square in 94. Is that the Freedom to Party rally? Yes, which is the one led by Paul Staines, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I was reading a bit about this and I found an amazing, like, three paragraph quote from someone who was there which is just it is what nate and i would call british voice so i will do i'll try and do it justice in the reading people were everywhere and standing on anything that gave them a better view they danced in empty fountains on top of the lines at guard nelson's column a cheer went up as someone announced the arrival of a van carrying a generator a group of people jumped from the platform rushing over to the jenny closely followed by the old bill a commotion around the van followed and eventually the driver had to scarper at the same time, an MC, Chalky White, was being arrested. No one knew why, but it completely antagonised the old crowd. I spotted a posse of about 30 geezers rushing through the crowd to where Chalky was being held. I could see by the expressions on their faces they were definitely going to start something with the police. I pointed out the firm to Jarvis and we quickly got down from the platform and edited them off before they reached the squad, reasoning with them not to fuck all the work we've been doing. They calmed down before disappearing into the crowd. We didn't know why our pal was being arrested, but we knew we couldn't win a physical battle with the law. <laughs> see if you had written that yourself and just made that up i would i would believe you but yeah. uh yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's the point where he said i pointed out the firm to jarvis i just fucking lost it while i was reading that <laughs> well that's the thing right is that i mean this stuff similar things would happen um in the u.s but the idea of there being you know a huge protest against it mm-hmm. uh wouldn't be I, I, maybe it's because it's a bigger country. Maybe it's because like the, these sorts of the, like music cultures and fan cultures are more like dissipated. But it's just the, that 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 is the idea of it being like enough to like create a huge or, or you know precipitate a big protest. Yeah, I just couldn't imagine that happening. There, there are a few sort of factors to consider with that. Um, number one, it is it, it's it's the sort of the centralization of um, of this sort of and of law enforcement in the English state in the in the Home Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to like individual counties or states, um, which means that whether a movement that is based on doing something like this has to be dealt with at a national level. It's not like it's like if you can piss off the council by like you know littering or whatever, but it's within the co- the the competence of the of the national government to like begin to crack down on stuff that they consider to be antisocial behavior. And additionally, right. Um, as we talked about, there was there has always been a real tension about different kinds of people who are of no fixed address in the UK and else and and sort of and the government here sort of much more I think than in the US. And finally, the um the difference is like the because of all the crack because of crackdowns on the clubs and because you, it was hard to like start a club and clubs kept getting shut down. Uh, even there was one around here that was sort of quite famous. I think Shoom was based around here. Um is that it that a lot of parties started to get hosted yeah there were people doing free festivals there were sort of hippies that would set up generators outside their vans it was also a lot of criminals like a lot of organized crime was involved in setting up all of the parties that would Did sort of, somebody say criminals <laughs> that a lot of organized crime was involved in setting up all the parties that would sort of spring up around the m25 
And so it's kind of like, it's a little bit like there were a bunch of mini Altamonts, you know, because it would all, it would be organized crime that was selling the, that was posting up all the flyers, that was giving you the phone number that you had to like page in order to be told the location at the last minute, it was mm. selling the drugs, all that stuff. And it was this sort of syncretic combination of like, um, of DJs who were bringing back sort of initially this music from America and Ibiza and stuff and playing it and playing it outside and this criminal and you know the mafia basically that saw that it was an opportunity to profit i mean i again i know i sort of defer to you george like does that am i again am i missing something from the story that rings completely true uh, obviously because drugs were a big part of the culture and it was so organized crime is always going to come into it i know mm. you want to talk about the hacienda obviously notoriously a lot of big merseyside gangs were running the hacienda um, mm. pretty much the security of that. And especially these big free festivals, they were act as the security, kind of like the Hells Angels would at the Ultimate Festival yeah. and stuff like that. Mm. Which is funny to me because, yeah, you mentioned Altamont. To me, like, that's the first thing that came to mind was, was there ever like an Altamont moment? Because that kind of ended a lot of that. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even necessarily that there was, um, that a guy got killed there because, I mean it was later determined that the guy was going for a gun or he had a gun and then the Hells Angels stabbed him. But it's more that Altamont kind of represented the end of that uh, in, in public consciousness, like the sort of end of that, the free love festival kind of stuff that was happening in the US. And it never really came back. Um, yeah. And obviously this was, this was 25, 30 years later. Um, you know, and it was, this was, this was all going on and it, it, I wasn't sure if there was ever like a breaking point. But I would also point out one other thing before you move on, which is that Something that I find really interesting is like a, a difference is when you look at some of the stuff from New Labor, like the way they did the, tar the targeted ads about like, or you know, the ad, the video spots about like, if you're cheating benefits, we'll find out and like that kind of shit. Mm. Weirdly in America, like they do less, they, at the time they did less stuff like that because it was never addressed to you. It was always addressed to them. It was like, we're going to find those welfare cheats and we're going to get them. So your taxpayer dollars don't go, you know what I mean? Like, whereas here the idea of the state reminding you that it's watching you like that seemed more prevalent that attitude was there but also it seemed like they were relatively ineffectual at least for a time and and then dave courtney's benefit enforcement flat nose geezers <laughs> will be sent around to your house to but, reclaim but then, your then you know benefits. post post new labor a lot of this stuff changed and uh yeah which is just which is just wild to me so i feel like to move on we should definitely get another good comment oh absolutely sure thing so let me see um here's a nice slice of history uh, this one starts, mm. great memories of losing my mind in Spectrum Warrington, Dove's Flying. <laughs> Same year as that IRA bombing. <laughs> <laughs> just connecting some pins on my well, board with red string. Yeah, it's just connecting dots in his head. You can see it happening. It's quite fun. Well, it's, it's very funny that his memory of the IRA bombing is just one of completely being blissed out. Like, yeah. right, any fucking days. The just IRA was proper lads in. Anytime he hears a distorted voice on, on, on TV, he just goes, ooh. Yeah. It's a little shiver. <laughs> yeah. The bomb went off. We thought it was a subwoofer. <laughs> what this is basically making me feel is that if you take enough acid, you can basically become the narrator from an Alfonso Cuaron movie. Like it's basically <laughs> E2 Mama Tambien, but about like taking drugs and IRA bombings in the same town. Like they were all brought together somehow. Mm. Yeah. If you take enough drugs, it makes you Adam Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. People were blissed out doing drugs and disco biscuits and the like at a rave, but elsewhere with the IRA, something very different was happening. 
but one of the things I, I think it's it's sort of um, it is actually sort of worth bringing up, especially because like there's no getting away from the sort of collision of, of politics mm-hmm. and and music. I mm-hmm. mean, in, in in the states as well. I mean, obviously the same thing, especially dance music, is there was is the the effort to kind of criminalize this right it wasn't it was they, they had they tried to target rave music specifically mm-hmm. and, and the thing is the uk has done this d- time and time again not just mm-hmm. with this kind of music so they would say it's illegal to have a party outside if you have repetitive beats that are going div, div, div. and the, the text of the law banned repetitive music that was based on a repetitive beat played loudly through speakers this was actually a quote i thought was very funny from the 1994 criminal justice and public order act which banned public gatherings wholly or predominantly characterized by the emission of a succession of repetitive beats well yeah so, uh the band you know orteca the sort of yeah. idm band so they released a single to try and get around this by doing a single that had 65 distinctive drum beats and they said, if you, you're a DJ and you play this at an illegal rave, have a lawyer and a musicologist present to confirm the beats are not repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining if this was like a long-standing tradition in British law enforcement, that if you dig into the archives, you find there was like an anti-skiffle task force or something like that. <laughs> there, 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 actually, there was. Um, oh, because fuck. with uh, it's actually this is more recent than than back the public in nineteen twenty, we'd be out in the fields playing the washboard, <laughs> doing <laughs> doing doing ether. It's um, it's that what was it was the um same year as the general strike. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, form six nine six, which was uh, something you had to fill in to have a concert in London. Um, oh, it, the thing that when Matt Hancock accidentally made grime legal. That's exactly it. So they effectively. It was, if you wanted to have a concert, you had to for, fill in this form called Form 696, and you had to say what music you were playing and what the primary ethnic group that was coming was. Jesus. And so if, the, if it was primarily black and you were playing music with beats, it wouldn't be allowed to go ahead. And that was scrapped after I moved here. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So <sighs> the UK has a history of, again, using its massive sort of overwhelming centralized power to um, crack down specifically on forms of music specifically that it considers to be detrimental to public order. It's like the... Are you familiar with Mary Whitehouse? Nate? I'm not, no. I mean, there's no. a whole Britonology in Mary Whitehouse, but she was a... Uh, George, are you familiar with Mary Whitehouse? Can't say I am. Okay, so this is uh, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm the source for Britonology. So, She's a pretty big name. They named the White House after her. <laughs> so she was a sort of public decency campaigner in the 1960s. She was the person uh, who was leading the sort of count, the counterculture revolution. Uh, the, again, the, um, like the counter to the sexual revolution. She was campaigning to make it so that it was uh, illegal to show homosexual, a homosexual couple on TV and worried about the sort of decline of public order and public morals mm-hmm. and worried so about the decline So these days she'd have a Guardian column, basically. <laughs> That's right. She's British Tipper Gore. Um, yeah, she was essentially British 60s Tipper Gore. There was somebody in the 70s called Anita Bryant yeah. who like became famous because I think her family was wealthy from orange juice. Hilariously, she was a campaigner in Florida, and she similarly mm-hmm. did a thing of like trying to ban, you know, representation of homosexuality or anything like that. But so with Mary Whitehouse, right? She had all. She basically, if there was something that represented cultural change, she was against it. Mm-hmm. And I think there there is a certain sort of Mary Whitehouse ish attitude that the British state takes towards new kinds of music, mm-hmm. and it always has, always. And I think rave. One of the reasons why it's so interesting to talk about is that rave was just like. 
the most blatant like it tried to do it with like radio licensing back in the pirate radio days and all that Mm -hmm. but uk but rave music was the most blatant effort to be like no if it has repetitive beats you cannot play it because it makes me feel old and weird yeah but the people who are now old and weird are reminiscing about it yeah they're in the youtube comments baby exactly so now george we got to ask for yet another one here's one so pink champagne was a real sweet form of whiz um, brackets, bass, Billy, speed, whatever you wanted to call it. It had pink specks through it. It was about 15 a G. When the tunes were good, the drugs and people made both out of love, not profit. <laughs> so this is sort of talking about how people kind of thought drug dealers were sort of in it for the love of the game. Yeah, drug dealers was different then. <laughs> they were just good lads. Well, uh, there, there, I think there is that perception. It's, yeah, drug dealers were great. They were, they were like, you know, our friends. They were like us. That's one of the like the intense mm. bits of social conservatism that you get in like Gen X bigger nostalgia. <laughs> Fucking hell! It was interesting though that you brought up pirate radio because I was thinking about that when I was uh, making making some very loose notes for this. Uh, that like I mean I I grew up in like the, the late nineties, early two thousands. Really, that's because kind of like my formative memories, and like that's obviously kind of like after after this had gone off the boil. But I remember in the late nineties there was like a huge pirate radio thing and like because i grew up in essex which had the the uk garage scene kind of emerged out of there and i remember that um my sister had uh in the in about i she probably started dating this guy like maybe like 97 96 97 and he uh he was like a, a guido essex italian uh if you can imagine the equivalent of a new jersey italian american but like a british version he's like an essex geezer that was this guy and uh he always had like some fucking beaten up golf gti or equivalent car with like a ridiculous like neon lit kenwood sound system in it and uh, and he would always listen to this pirate radio station called sub jam uh which I think there's a Peter Serafinowicz parody of it where he does Terry Wogan hosting a show as if it's on Subjam, but it would just be like constant drum and bass and jungle with uh, the DJs periodically shouting over it, going like, shout out to someone, like whatever, and then it'd just be like more jungle. Um, and the reception was always dreadful because it was like on a fucking boat or a tower yeah, block roof yeah, somewhere. Yeah. It's funny because um, in 2003... Uh, yeah, 2003, end of 2003, beginning of 2004, I was in my first year of university, mm. and Dizzy Rascal's first album, Boy in the Corner, was very, very highly reviewed on Pitchfork, which was like the biggest music blog at the time. With goop on your grin. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is now, you know, Pitchfork has, has become like basically a media company, but at the time it was just a dude's blog. Yeah. And there are references in Dizzy Rascal's lyrics to stuff about pirate radio. Mm. And it's funny to me because like that concept just completely doesn't exist because for one, I mean, I think this is the size of the country. Like, yeah, yeah. You, like it would just be very, very difficult to achieve what you can do with pirate radio, the influence you can have with pirate radio or could mm. at the time you know, if you had a boat in the Thames somewhere or something like that, or like you said, on a tower block versus a country as gigantic as the US. I think there might have been pirate radio stuff like that to some extent in the US, but also the, the US airwaves, like the radio uh, stuff is is under the, the purview of like the federal government. So obviously like you can get in a shitload of trouble for, for radio jamming and stuff like oh, that. Oh, it's the same here. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, but um, hilariously, the, 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 the closest analog I can think of to that stuff is so much older. It's like it's like when you had that like the way that hip hop music emerged in the US, mm. a lot of it was basically illegal block parties. And the way that it would work in places like the Bronx and in Brooklyn is people would um they'd break into the panel control panel or the like the the switch on a light pole 
in the city and pull out the wires to get power out of it to plug into a stereo system so they could run you know turntables and an amp and speakers a pa stuff like that Mm -hmm. and have a party and that's like how a lot of that stuff happened and um but that that was in the late seventies, right? Like that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. For one, the, that music got kind of professionalized, and like you know, major labels got snapped up on it. But like the last time that I can think of that, you had a scene like that where like it was that organic was literally you know forty four years ago. You know, like nineteen seventy seven was like the big high point of that because hilariously there was a huge blackout and then a bunch of, of looting in New York City and all of a sudden a lot of people had great sound systems they could fucking do block parties with because <laughs> they stole them all, which is awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong, but. To, but uh, yeah, like it just seems like some of this stuff either happened earlier in the UK or it happened much later, mm-hmm. and that's like well, it's it's also differences in genres, right? So the yeah. es- the Essex the Essex Garrett the okay the pirate radio scene that's sort of um, based into that that garage tradition and stuff that's sort of much more like um, a, a within London, um, yeah. much more sort of like black music as well. Uh, whereas the um, and that was something that was happening in like the later nineties and two thousands, yeah. Like sort of like like Rinse FM even started as a pirate station, um, and then with the and then the the rave scene rather than sort of being about that kind of equipment was um and and that 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 area even that ethnicity it was um much more sort of again like in those clubs initially then very much outside London. Well, I'll say a lot of it was in the north and a lot of it was extremely white, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, um. I mean, that's definitely that's definitely the, the the vision I have of like a UK rave. I mean, again, if someone doesn't know much about it, it doesn't really. Yeah, it strikes me as like quite a white thing. I mean, there were obviously like there were like other things going around. There's like obviously there's always been like a kind of an Afro Caribbean scene, but I think I think of that as like a slightly separate thing. Uh, George, I don't know if that's something you want to come in on actually. Yeah, I think that's true. I think um, a lot of the people who reminisce about the original rave and hardcore scene. They use, I guess, what we, you would call euphemisms for blackness when they say when they mm. sort of lost interest in the scene, like, oh, when it became jungle, it became a lot moodier mm. and there was a lot more violence. And it, it just seems like a lot of euphemism for the music got a lot blacker when it became jungle. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so mm. that comes across. But it is interesting. A lot of it is sort of dotted across the north and Scotland um, in sort of places where you wouldn't imagine of going for a night out nowadays, people are like uh, really nostalgic about raving in like Skegness and Great Yarmouth and stuff like that. <laughs> Places you could have seen Johannes Vonk and the Clogheads 10 years ago. <laughs> they actually did do rave. Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, Brighton was another one of those, wasn't it? I mean, uh, hilariously, one of the, like I said, when they sanitized dance music in America, uh, because obviously like the original techno was all black music from Detroit and Chicago. Uh, when it became popular in America, I mean, I was like a young teenager when like mm-hmm. Fatboy Slim became a huge thing. And if I remember his whole thing was like beach concerts in Brighton once he got big, like that was a huge thing down there too. So yeah, yeah. I just thought I don't know I don't know but maybe uh, this isn't just because my ex girlfriend was from there but I just I do just find Brighton to be one of the worst cities in the United <laughs> Kingdom. <laughs> oh, so it just like London First prices the Welsh is now this like shitty and like full of people <laughs> who will insist to you until they're blue in the face that it's like the greatest city on earth and it's like no it's not there's no fucking parking. Yeah, Milo actually really loves Eastbourne. Like he, <laughs> I'm a big Eastbourne represent. That's why he hates Brighton so I'm much. I'm really, I'm really big into Worthing. Actually, <laughs> if you don't, don't talk shit about Worthing around me. I, I think, like, also part of part, part this story sort of also isn't complete without talking about like property developers and um and sort of entertainment company investors and sort of the transition of 
of of dance music in the because like there's a million stories of, of dance music there's a million stories of its evolution its relationship with northern soul the sort of its many trips back and forth across the atlantic the, the one of the the sort of most important um, um things to talk about as well is right like as we lose the as we lose raving from from the countryside who's the beneficiary there are guys like um you know, Lord Palumbo, the, ter- the Tory peer who owns uh, Ministry the of Sound. Mr. Snrub of Colombo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Palumbo, who yeah. owns Ministry of Sound and the big, mm. the big companies that sort of, and property developers and so on, who manage to like, again, enclose this thing and sort of take it from what it, from its, its spirit of, um, I guess, quite sort of rough community uh, and, and very complex and sort of contradictory spirit of community, but nevertheless, something that was not bound by um, or not nearly as bound by sort of uh, capitalist realism or what have you. It was a ver- there was this process of enclosure, and mm. it's some of the people who, and th- again, the biggest celebrities from these scenes, guys like Paul Oakenfold, who maybe you would have seen at these like you know big parties, bringing their and initially bringing that sound back from Ibiza. Um, then there become the residents at Ministry of Sound. They become megastars, and again, and the entire thing becomes sort of so much more enclosed and so much more shut down. And then if you move that just a little bit further on into the future, then all of the other clubs that open up because it's London and they're around Ministry of Sound, a lot of those have now closed. And a lot of the sort of the, the clubs in Leicester have now closed. The places, places that were inspired, even if they didn't, didn't enclose it, were inspired by this movement. They're all gone now. Yeah, and I, like I'm from the Midlands, like all those, like there seems to be like legendary clubs in Coventry, Leicester, Milton Keynes, they've all disappeared. Like I see so many comments, people crying that the big club sanctuary Milton Keynes is an Ikea now and just middle-aged guys go there and feel sad, basically. <laughs> so fucking depressing. I, I still fucking go there. Yeah. <laughs> go there for the meatballs, you know, yeah. all the speedballs. <laughs> Drop it, dropping a pinger in the uh, in the bedroom section just to feel something. I mean, there, there's this, there's this real sense I get, right? And I, I get this sense very keenly when I when I look at the sort of people's reminiscences of this period. It's the very last minutes of Goodfellas. It's we mm. had everything, and now um, and now and now the clubs in IKEA, and I have to live like a regular schnook. Yeah, when I when I when I order spaghetti bolognese, I get egg noodles and ketchup or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah, longer yeah, I'm yeah. no longer getting I'm no longer getting pingers. I'm middle aged. I'm uh, the clubs I and I son. I hate my <laughs> son. The clubs in IKEA. Yeah. <laughs> I'm eating dime. Yeah, I, and this, and I think yeah, there's it's the it, on one hand the individual expression of that nostalgia is often done in a very funny way, but sort of more broadly speaking, it is there is a real sense I think of of the loss of something. To the sort of brute ledger logic of the market. Well, that is the story of Gen X in a nutshell, isn't it? The nightclub is now an IKEA because it, it has like the the structure of our city has followed Gen X. Like Gen X like to moan, but like they want it to be an IKEA. Like that's that's the fucking Gen X energy. There's oh, yeah. a the, the difference with our generation is the nightclub never existed in the first place. It's always been an IKEA. Well, certainly not that one. I mean, like I think yeah. about you know people that I know back in the states who have told me before like. Dude, you should absolutely, if you go to Manchester, like go, go go to the Hacienda. It would be cool to like, even though it doesn't exist anymore, go to the old building. Like it would be cool to see it and stuff like that. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's wild to me that, you know, I'm from Indiana, that like people, because of, you know, a kind of mass, call it indie culture or something like that, that was mm-hmm. popular enough that, you know, I'm, I'm 36, like growing up, that people were really into stuff that was popular in Britain in the early 80s, that like a club in Manchester, which is like a city that basically, I mean, 
most people that in the US who have gone to the UK have only gone to London, like very few people are going to mm-hmm. go there, like has enough cachet that like it's become this legendary thing that people would almost like make a pilgrimage to, you know what I mean? Like in a way. How many L's in pilgrimage? Like that would, the, oh Jesus, Riley's just brought up the fact that the, the building the Hacienda's in is now a uh, block, block, block of flats. Block of flats, baby. <laughs> Of course, I'm also laughing, and I'm like, "Wow, a two bedroom for 11.95? Jesus, that's fucking cheap." <laughs> the hacienda's closed now. I live in it. That's fun. It's uh, it's. I mean, I I, I talk about you know, um, I, I I'm a big Mark Fisher fan, as sort of anyone who listens to this show will know, and I sort of talk about sort of hauntology quite a bit, right? And I mean, with with, with some it's a shame that no one knows what it is to this day. <laughs> it can't be defined. And and with something like like turning the hacienda into luxury flats like the forces of capital have acknowledged and have now enclosed the hauntology itself um the you you yes you're haunted by by ghosts of 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 futures that are unfulfilled um with Getting their sucked off by bobby gillespie <laughs> yeah, exactly you're haunted by you're haunted by the ghosts of of what could have been and um and and that and that emotion that you have is now being used to encourage you to buy like a help to buy flat in central Manchester. Mm. And so I think it's actually what I wanted to bring in is another concept from Mark Fisher as well, which is of uh, he called acid communism, uh, which was essentially his, his whole idea was that p- part of part of sort of the political left and the or the cultural left, or whatever you wanted to call it, had to be based on breaking out of what existed and in creating something entirely new, no forms of existing together. That's why it was, you know, acid was sort of a glib way of, of saying that. And I mean, one of the reasons that sort of like Mark Fisher was sort of so, I mean, he was into, let's say, I think the more um, uh, dour and dubby versions of British uh, electronic music, but he nevertheless sort of loved this whole idea because for him, the rave represented a new way of coexisting with one another that was based on, um, that was not based on the, again, the ledger logic of the market. It was not based on people relating to one another as consumers and, and individuals and producers. It was some other thing. And I mean, what, what, what I feel, what I feel is, is I feel a nostalgia for a time I never experienced mm-hmm. because this, there was more openness for this sort of acidic way to relate to one another. Good drugs, good vibes, simple as. George, I've got a comment. Don't like it. I, I there isn't a door, it's in a field. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted you to get a chance to react to what Riley said before. I, I wanted to bring something up uh, along those lines, but I didn't want to cut you off if you had a response to that. Um, no, I pretty much echo that. I feel um, as far as that goes, I'm a very haunted person, yeah, full of hauntology because I'm basically mm. borrowing all this rave nostalgia from other people. It. It's pretty lame to be one of those. I wish I was born in the in a different generation kind of guy. But when that's I'm a YouTube comment energy in and of itself, <laughs> it really is. And I have to be self aware about it. But when so, so much of this seems so feel good and so colourful, especially the language used and the pictures people paint in the comments, it's like this is definitely a more interesting time in Britain to be living in than the age I am in. So. It just seems like, yeah, full of nostalgia for something I haven't experienced. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I'm not going to say it's, the, it's a direct link, but obviously like, there's a certain extent to which that kind of, for me, uh, that era, the coolness of a lot of the things that are being produced from the late 70s until the early 90s in Britain like created enough of a cultural sort of notion for me that when 
I became aware of the fact that I could actually legally live here if I wanted to because you know I, my mom had misunderstood how the law worked and she thought that I wasn't eligible for a passport, but it turned mm. out I was and I could move here. I was like, man, moving to Britain would be fucking cool. And, and mm. I, I learned the hard way. <laughs> but, uh, Idiot. Now I made you're the on this podcast. But, but, but the, thing, the thing I would say though is that, I mean, I felt the same way because I... Um, uh, maybe perhaps less so now, but at a time I was a really big fan of the Australian band Cut Copy and they put out an album in, I think I want to say 2012, 2013, that was very much influenced by, uh, you know, Balearic Islands dance music from the late 80s and Second Summer of Love stuff. And out of curiosity from that, I just started Googling it and looking into it and seeing mm. these pictures from these house parties and raves and like in Spain or, you know, in, in, on Ibiza or like here in the UK. And you're just like, God, it looks like so much fucking fun and the hair and the clothes are so weird. Like it's so wild. Like the really floppy fringe, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. like just, and just like people like dancing around a pool, like smoking, looking not at all fucking self-conscious at all. Like it's the wildest thing. It's like, mm. you know, wait, there's a drug that makes British people happy and social. <laughs> <laughs> and so like in a way, That's it's why just, they had to ban it. <laughs> exactly. And that, that, so, so I feel it entirely. Like I'm not even from here, but like when you see this stuff, you're like, wow, that, that was it does look like it was really cool and really fun and like you would feel nostalgic yeah. and want to reminisce about it if you'd been there back yep. when you were young was there still IRA bombings then <laughs> <laughs> I made the drugs lovely um, so George do you have any uh, any other comments that you want to highlight of uh, good UK rave comments yeah we've got to close out on some bangers here I think here's here's one that uh, maybe slightly disturbing um <laughs> Me and my mate bought two glove puppets from Pound Stretchers to take to raves. He called his Bill, so called mine not Bill. We used to take them to the chill-out tent to try and cheer people up. We were on downers. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it made things a lot worse. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Let's just, you know, we're, we're the exp- we are the experimental uh, drugs, drug-induced psychosis come down squad. <laughs> this is British uh, MKUltra. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, British MK Ultra is you take a bad ecstasy pill and then some guy comes and talks to you with a hand puppet. Yeah. <laughs> Explaining sexual abstinence to you by yeah. the medium of a hand puppet. Um, I, I, there's actually, because I, 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 I've been scrolling through your feed as well, uh, and I'm, I've, there's one I quite like here. I was the loneliest raver on the planet in 92, 11, 12 years old, and going off my head in the bedroom. Used to get all the newest tapes off my older mate down the road. Got my energy from nothing but sugar on my cornflakes. Great video. Heart, pray, flex. (laughs) (laughs) Those are emojis. Just pure positivity. I love it. Yeah, Yeah. pure positivity in that one. That sounds like a very, like, McElroy-style comment. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, because I... I've, I've, for a long time, I listened to electronic music by myself, just like, just really, just really sort of viscerally enjoying it. Heart I kind of, pray flex the yeah. Riley motto. <laughs> I really, um, I, I, I really connected with this one, I, I was going to say, no surprise that you found the most Canadian comment in the fucking feed <laughs> and gravitated towards it. That's right. Oh, yeah, I sure did love the rave scene. I was about 11, 12 years old there. <laughs> going out for a rip on the snowmobile, listening to some of those tunes on the Walkman. I didn't realize that everybody in, in Canada was from Scandinavia. That's right. That's where they're from. <laughs> so so well, I was going to ask before we close out, though, George, because there is the one thing that we haven't talked about is that these are you're pulling them from these videos. But I'm wondering, like, I imagine if you didn't share an interest in the, the music itself, you wouldn't be trawling through these videos all the time. So I'm wondering, like, do you have any recommendations for people who may not be familiar with this scene or with, with this genre or genres or like artists or songs they might want to check out? Artists or songs. Um, I feel like the main things I tend to look at is the big sort of 
recordings of DJ sets at the big rave, like there's ones called Fantasia, Helter Skelter, AWOL. And these probably really capture the energy of raves at the time, like the individual songs probably don't. Um, mm-hmm. So they're quite a lot of fun to listen to. There's DJs like Slipmat, Rat Pack, and uh, Two Bli- uh, Two Bad Mice, for example, which are fun to listen to. Um, one thing that really spiked my interest a couple of years ago was the Jeremy Della film, Everybody in the Place, which is quite an interesting look at the rave sort of history. It includes a lot of the music like 808 State and a guy called Gerald. So I recommend checking mm. that out. Okay. All right, sweet. Well, this is all cool. When yeah. the weather's good and it actually makes me feel like happiness is possible in this country, I might get yeah. on one of those sets and listen to it while illegal I'm- trash shoots yeah. rave at our oh. new office. <laughs> Dave Courtney tier Patreon subscribers. Um, and if anyone has uh, the updated version of the LFO remix of Nightmares on Wax Aftermath, uh, please do send that to any any account show- associated with the show. I've been looking for it for years. Well, okay. and also, please make sure to follow UK Rave Comments on Twitter. We will link yeah. to the bio, link to the profile. For information about IRA bombings that <laughs> have taken place in, in line with music and, and, history. And, and, and up to the minute custody battle information yeah. <laughs> from all the people commenting. And directions to the IKEA, Milton Keynes. Yeah, that's exactly. right. Yeah. But George, thank you so much for making time to be on. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Learn some stuff too, so it's great. Thank you. No problem. Pleasure to be here. Cheers. Yeah, thanks a lot, George. All right, wicked. Cheers. And to all of our listeners, thank you for being Patreon subscribers. Thank you for enjoying yet another Britonology. It has been, once again, That's myself, right. Nate Bethay, with... And me, Milo Edwards. And thank you to Riley for joining as well. No, if there's, if there's going to be electronic music being talked about, I will be there. Otherwise, he'll just break down the yeah. wall like the Kool-Aid man. He'll be there. <laughs>